Amen. Hey, once again, we're going to continue our study. The book of James. That's right. And what's the tagline? How to spot a phony Christian. Wait a second. Is that really? Yeah. We've been seeing the last four times. This aspect of phony people in your midst, phony Christians, those who profess to know Christ but don't belong to Christ, that's actually not a foreign concept in the scripture. Okay, James deals with it, but other books in the Bible deal with it as well. Okay, and the good news is God doesn't just tell us this is an unfortunate reality. He tells us how to spot them so we could deal with them. And whatever you do, don't let them get into this position like this faker. Watch this. This is crazy. Two years ago, an academic study located and interviewed five pastors, all working within their parishes, who had, without their congregations knowing it, stopped believing in God. They were secretly atheist. A website started not not long after, clergyproject.com, to give current and former members of the clergy a confidential forum to discuss their secret lack of belief. The website currently claims more than 185 members. We contacted the site's administrators to express our interest in speaking to one of those members. Speaking to one of our producers, one pastor said he no longer wanted to be secret about his skepticism. He wanted to come out. His name is Mike Ouse. He is a working pastor at a non-denominational church in Houston. And he joins us now from Washington, where yesterday he attended the Reason Rally. Um, Mr. Ouse, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Chris. Good to be here. Um, tell me a little bit about your just personal journey. How did you uh, enter, the, en- enter the clergy? Why did you enter the clergy? What was your religious faith upbringing? Um, I grew up as a Lutheran, uh, mainline Protestant, uh, had always gone to church my entire life, and um, just was a person of faith. And uh, when I went to seminary, I got into it with the... Um, like I said, the best of intentions, believing pretty much at the time I felt uh, the whole doctrinal, um, you know, all, you know, all the doctrines and teachings of the church, and I just wanted to help people and enjoyed uh, enjoyed church life, and so that's how I got into it. And um, when did you start to question uh, that faith? What what sort of precipitated the beginning of that journey? Well, um, for me, it's been um, kind of a slowly jettisoning. The um, uh, some of the doctrines I found difficult to believe, and I would just tell myself, well, maybe you don't have to believe in the virgin birth, but you can still be a Christian, or maybe you don't have to believe that uh, Jesus fed the five thousand, but you can still be a Christian. And I, as I started to jettison the beliefs, I came to uh, realize uh, fairly recently that there wasn't a whole lot left. Because you don't have a real faith, you have a dead faith. And too bad he lost his salvation. No. He never had in the first place. And that's the other acid test book that we saw before. How do you categorize something like this? Well, here's what the Bible says, 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they what? They did not really belong to us. Well, how do you know? Well, here's John's acid test, right? Not just James. For if they had belonged to us, what would they have done? They would have remained with us, but they're going, like that guy, what? Showed that what? None of them belonged to us. The guy was a faker the whole time. Now, what's scary is a couple of different things. If you're paying attention to that video, it said he's a working pastor. Does that mean he's still in the pulpit? What kind of a church is that? They're all over the place. And then the other thing, too, is a group of people. It said what there is 185 members and apparently growing of what? People who says, I can't take it anymore. I'm lying. I'm really an atheist behind the pulpit. But I want to come clean. I want to come out of the closet. What's scary is this is not just really going on. These are people, what? Running the church. And I'm telling you, I'm convinced this is a huge factor as to why we are in the shape we're in as the church today, why there's such huge apostasy, because you got fakers who are running the church. That's why it's messed up. And we need to call them on the carpet scripturally. And again, that's the issue. How, how could this happen? How could you have atheist pastors behind the pulpit and churches still even allow that? 
because we're not holding the biblical standard. We're not taking this, the word of God serious when it tells you how to spot them. And so that's why we're going to continue in our journey in the book of James that tells us what to look out for so we can deal with them if they're in our midst. Open your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going to take a look again at verses 1 through 4 in the context. Then we're going to hone in on verses 2 through 3. But let's go ahead and stand as we read God's holy word and learn how to spot these fakers, right? James chapter 1. And as we stand there, James, of course, he's going to fill in a, a description about himself as we already saw in our study. So I'm not going to belabor that. But again, just as a gentle reminder, again, you know, it's the first of the year, you know, New Year's resolutions. And can you say, put your name, it says James, but put your name in there as we read this. And can you match the following words from your heart? What's he say there? Verse one, James, what? A servant of God. Is that your mentality every day when you get out of bed? And then what? And of who? Of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good mentality to have, right? And that's how what James has. James is servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Again, he's talking about the early church at this time that was made up of just Jewish believers, right? Greetings, he says. And the first thing out of the gates, here we go. What's he say? Consider what? Pure joy, my brothers. Whenever life goes your way and it's always about, oh, I'm sorry. Whenever what? You face trials of what? Many kinds. Why? Because you know that the what? What's the word there? Test. It's a test. The testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. And perseverance must. It's an imperative. It has to finish its work. Why? So that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. You may be seated if you can, but let's go ahead and let's blow up some Greek here of what we just read, honing in on verses two and three. Consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Here's what the Greek literally says with the verb tensing. Consider a matter of, love this, of unadulterated joy, woohoo, without any mixture of sorrow, whenever you what? Fall into the midst of variegated trials which surround you. Man, they're all over the place. Knowing what? Experientially, that the approving of your faith, that faith having been put to the test for the purposes of being approved and having met the test has been approved, here's your payoff. That this approving process, listen, produces a patience which bears up and does not lose heart or courage under trials. How many guys would like to have that? Well, again, turn to somebody and say, bring on the trials, right? Because that's what James says God's doing in the midst of it. It's great news. But again, uh, we've seen that the book of James is the very first chronological book written to the early church, right? It doesn't appear in the Bible that way, but it was. It was the first New Testament book written. Why? Because Satan has an evil plan, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God is using James to basically counteract that. And Satan's evil plan, the church has finally gone out in the world. And so Satan, he couldn't keep Jesus from going to the cross. He couldn't keep Jesus from rising again from the grave. He couldn't stop the birth of the church, Acts chapter two. And he can't take away your salvation, amen? Isn't that good news? Right. So Satan knows he's, uh, his gig is up. He's just basically on death row awaiting his final sentence in the lake of fire. But he's so stinking evil, he's seen how many fakers that he can get. False apostles, false prophets, false teachers, false teachings, and false brothers fake Christians inserted into churches so that when the lost come in their midst, they get a false impression, a false Jesus, and a false gospel. So here comes James right out of the gates. The church is finally out there, and he begins to give an acid test. How do you know you got a faker in your midst? Well, his first test was trials. You watch and watch what these people do with trials. And it isn't just making it through trials. What's the caveat here for a true born-again Christian? Do you make it through your trials? Because we're all going to have trials but with joy, right? Now, why is that an acid test? Well, first of all, because lost people can make it through trials, do it all the time. So that's no big big deal. But do you make it through trials with joy? 
Now, why is that something that should be consistent with the Christian? Number one, because we're Christians, followers of Christ. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. Number one. Number two, the moment we become a true born again Christian at salvation, what happens? Bang, instantly we're indwelt with what? The Holy Spirit of God. And then guess what? Part of the fruit of the Spirit of God as evidence of you being saved is what? He begins to produce love. What's the second one? Joy. So this ability to have joy, not just in the high times, anybody could do that, but even amidst the difficult times, the trials is a fruit of the Spirit. And if you ain't got the Spirit, then you don't belong to Christ. So it's, it's kind of an acid test, James is saying. Okay, watch what people do with trials. You ever known somebody that professed to be a Christian and then went through a hard time? That's it, I become an atheist, like that guy. Well, guess what? You were never saved in the first place. That's an acid test, okay? Now, the problem, and the reason why we're, we're stopping on this for a little bit before we continue on in this first chapter is because of the apostasy, these fakers, these false teachers with false teachings, and dare I say, could very well be false brothers, they're saying the exact opposite in the church. They're not just flooded the church today, which is giving rise to apostasy, but they're giving the exact opposite of what James says. James says the good news, no matter what you go through in life, that if you would just trust God and, 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 and trust that his spirit will give you that supernatural ability to be joyful in the midst of your trials, these guys are saying, you, don't, you come to be a Christian and you won't go through trials. You, you can be successful, right? You can wear these snappy jackets like Pastor Billy. You can drive a Cadillac, right? You'll have uh, learn to be a better you. Build yourself a seat. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And, but that's all over the church today. So this, this message from James, we're just quoting scripture, that you can have joy in its trial. We need trials. That guy said, if I sow the seed to his ministry, I'll get a hundredfold back. I'm not supposed to have it. I'm supposed to have perfect wealth. I'm perfect. You liar. You heretic. And so I wanted to camp on this a little bit because that's such a hard, what do you mean trials? What do you mean joy in the midst of our trials? I've never heard a sermon like that in my life. Well, if you don't ever get that in the church you go to, Run because you're being lied to, right? And so we've been taking a look at that, and James defines one good thing that we've already seen. What is God doing? Well, what's a good thing that he's doing amidst our trials, unlike these false teachers today? Well, number one, he said perseverance, right? And why do he say he fills in the blank? So that we can be what? Complete, mature Christians, listen, lacking nothing. How many guys like to be one of those Christians? Praise God, all seven of you. Rest of you, I'm glad you're here. We'll help you out. That's right. Okay, well, yeah, it's a good thing. And he says, when you know this, it gives you joy. Man, God's doing something great, right? And that's what he says there. Consider what? Pure joy, my brothers, whenever, not, it's going to happen whenever you face trials of, what's the word there? Many kinds. You guys remember what the Greek word was? It was poikilos. You know that Hawaiian dip with the chip thing? That's not what it is. I know you were thinking that last time. Right? Poikilos means what? It means, listen, various colors, like my jackets, variegated, diverse sort of various multiple kinds. They just don't end, do they? Maybe my jacket is your trial. I don't know, but get over it. But anyway, that's right. <laughs> but he says, you're not just going to experience trials. He says, what? You're going to have poikilos all over you, man. You're going to have many different kinds of trials. Various kinds are going to come in this way and that way. And this one came in this shape, but this one's going to come in that shape. And it's all what? It's all for good. Many trials for many different good reasons. And that's what James says. You need to think forward to that good reason. You may not see it now, but if you trust God and think forward, because you know it's going to happen, then it gives you joy. All right? And that's what he says there. Consider is hegomai. It means to consider, to account, to deem, to think, literally to think forward. And that's what he says there. You need to think forward. I don't see it now. It doesn't feel like it. I didn't say it'd be pleasant. I didn't say it'd be easy. But if you think forward, God, I can't wait for this great thing that you're going to do. Thank you. Right? And then it isn't just something you do willy-nilly. It's something that you've got ingrained in you 
Because God does it over and over again. And that's the next verse. Because you what? You know. Not maybe, not mind, not question, not doubt. You know, Christian, that the testing of your faith through that trial develops what? Perseverance, i.e. a good thing. As we saw, no is gnosko. It's not just head knowledge. It's what? It's experiential knowledge. You know from experience. How many times that God brought you through troubles? Anybody? You ever go through a trouble? Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're lying. Okay, we've all gone through troubles. But here as a Christian, did God bring you through that one? Mm-hmm. How about that second one? How about the 3400th one? Right? Okay, guess what? Uh, uh, the one you're going through now, oh, I guess his hands are tied. He's not going to... No, that's what he's saying. How many times do we got to go through trials? And how many times has God got to sure enough do something fantastic with it? And then you're going to think he's going to change the rules now? Come on. You know he's going to do something good with it. And then when you realize that, biblically what? Hey, hey. I got my joy. And it isn't just for you, man. It's to be a positive witness. Because listen, that's, I call it the great leveler. This side of heaven, we're all, all of the human race is going to go through trials. And you know what the difference is? You and I as a Christian, going through it with joy, the lost people look at that and go, please, please, can I have that? And we can lead them to Jesus. Right? And that's, that's the important thing. So again, because we've got these liars out there, we can take a look, okay, what, what is some of the other good reasons, right? James gives us one, perseverance. Well, if you were last time, many trials, poikilos, gives us many good reasons from God. Last time we saw one, to expose our sin nature, right? And so that we can deal with it and move on and grow closer in our walk with Jesus. That's a good thing. Number two, we saw it was to keep us from becoming spiritually lazy. And I'm glad that never happens. Yeah, don't make me preach online. Yeah, and so God spanks us back on track, right? And that's a good thing. Right? We were heading down a bad road. He loved us enough to spank us right back on track. Number three we saw was to cause us to be a blessing to others. That still blows me away. I call God the ultimate recycler. He not only recycles and does something fantastic with our pain, 2 Corinthians 1, he is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our trials so that we in turn can comfort others with the same comfort we receive from God. Isn't that fantastic? He's so powerful, he'll take our pain and use it for somebody else's good besides us. You can't lose as a Christian. And when you know that, when you think forward to that, James says, hee. right? And you're a positive witness. But porky loss means porky loss. How many guys can tell I like that Greek word, porky loss? <laughs> I really do, right? And I'm not done with it either. That's right. But it means many, right? So let's take a look at another one. The fourth reason that I've learned why God allows trials, just like James says, for a good reason, is to teach us that God is God and we are not. And boy, in our me, myself, and I, unholy trinity culture, is that not a lesson to be learned? Now, here's what's wild. Did you know that John the Baptist, the great and mighty John the Baptist, this was a lesson he had to learn. How many times have we read this passage and we just skipped right on over it? And it's like, stop, what's going on here? Let's take a look. Matthew 11, one through six, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee, right? And when John heard, where? In prison, wait a second. This is John the Baptist. He's the forerunner of the Messiah, the Christ himself. And he's not out there robbing banks. He's not out there carousing around in bars, right? Doing all kinds of rotten stuff. He's serving God. And he's what? Prison. And so watch what happened. He's heard in prison what Christ was doing. But listen, he sent, John sent his disciples to ask him, Jesus, listen, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? John had a moment of doubt, right? 
And then I love what Jesus says. Jesus writes, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Now, why did Jesus do that? He's quoting scripture. He proved through the scripture the scripture predicted that when the Messiah, the real Messiah would come, he would what? He would do all those things. And so Jesus is pointing John back to the scripture. I am he. I am he. You don't need to doubt, John. I am fulfilling scripture. I am the Messiah. And that's why he ends. Blessed is the man who what? Who does not fall away on account of me. In other words, sometimes God's going to do things that you don't expect. But trust him. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so here's what we see. John the, ba- John the Baptist, man, he was, in essence, having a problem with the way that things were turning out in his life. And again, you put it in his contest, I, I can understand it. I mean, he's serving God. He's doing the right thing. He's not out there sending up a storm. He's out there doing a fruitful ministry, doing exactly what God called him to do, preparing the way for the Lord, and then uh, you're in prison. And then, of course, we know the rest of the story. What? That got chopped off. Which, of course, means he's in heaven, which is... Why, as Christians, we don't need to be afraid of dying. We can't lose even at that. But, but, but the problem was, listen, John assumed that Jesus would usher in his kingdom right then and there, but he didn't. He didn't know what you and I know now, scripturally, 2,000 years later. That was Jesus' first coming when he was securing salvation. The second coming doesn't happen until the end of the seven-year tribulation. That's when he sets up his kingdom and rules and reigns from Jerusalem over the whole planet. Right? But John didn't know that. But he assumed it was going to happen there. And so he was feeling in a quandary. He felt like, wait a second, life wasn't meeting up to John's expectations. And he began to doubt God's plan. And he actually sent the disciples, his disciples, John's disciples, to check things out. Do you really, are you? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that that only happened with John the Baptist. Isn't that fantastic? We never do nothing like that, do we? Man, are you kidding me? How many times do we do this even in one given day, right? If we're honest with ourselves, we do the exact same thing. How many times, and here's the, here's the operative word, how many times do we also assume that, listen, we know what's best for us. We think that we know better than God. We think that we know how our lives should turn out. And who do we think we are? Are you God or something? As if God doesn't know what he's doing? Do you really think that you usurp the wisdom of God? I'm talking Christians here. God knows what he's doing. I love Proverbs that says, man, man makes his plans, but God orders his steps. That's a comfort to me. Anybody ever mess up on your plans? But aren't you glad that God orders them and he still does good with them? Yeah? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the captain of my ship. 25 years I had being the captain of my ship, steering life into a ground, into a demonic nightmare, headed straight to hell. I don't, I don't want to steal this chip anymore. Uh, you can have it. But sometimes we know that as Christians, but sometimes when life doesn't go the way that we... we are, God, and we're like John. We kind of assume, ah, it should, have been, it should have been a different way. But folks, who do we think we are? We're not God. The scripture just challenges us, as Jesus did to John, trust him. He's God. He knows what he's doing. Just trust him. Aren't you glad that God doesn't have a plan B? Aren't you glad that God doesn't take a vacation from us? Aren't you glad that in our circumstances, God doesn't say, well, sorry about that one. That one got through. It was the angels. That was their fault. Right? I was supposed to get an email yesterday, and they were late goofing around. 
buying jackets for Pastor Billy. <laughs> Told him not to. He's looking dumb. Aren't you glad that he doesn't say, oops, sorry? He never does. God always gets it right every single time. You just trust him. And that's our choice every single day. We can either trust God, knows the fact that he knows what's best for us. Listen, it's easy when things go the way that we like. But you need to trust him just as much when it goes the way we didn't expect. We can still have joy because we know experientially that God is in control and he knows what he's doing. Even if it doesn't seem like it. And so again, we can either, that's your choice. When life doesn't go our way, which by the way, that mentality means self is on the throne, not Jesus Christ. Self is on the throne, not Jesus Christ. He must increase, I must decrease. It's him, not me. As we saw in our Wednesday night studies in Satanism, the number one law of Satanism is do what you will shall be the whole of the law. That's Satanism. But Christians were followers of Christ. What do you want, Jesus? This is your life, not mine. What do you want? That's the mentality. And that's our mentality we need to have every day. But again, we can either try to, in essence, be our own God. And if you will, it's kind of a backhanded slap as if we're accusing God of not knowing what he's doing. Don't do that. Trust him. And so guess what? God, he sees us. He sees sometimes we fall for that. Lie from this wicked world system. That it's about me and it should go my way. And we got all these inputs from this wicked world system that, that tries to get us to think about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity, and this and whatever. And so you know what God does? He loves us. You know what he does? He does exactly what James says. He's going to send you a trial. And if you don't learn that next, first trial, he's going to send you another one. And he's going to keep sending you trials until you learn real fast, listen, you're not God and you're not in control of the universe. You don't have that power. But here's the good news. God does. And you just need to trust him. And over time, through the trials, you start to realize that how many times I got to go through this before I realize God knows what he's doing. <laughs> what a concept. Even when it looks like there's no way, no good can come from this. Oh, yeah. You don't understand how powerful God is. You can't match his matchless wisdom. Let me give you just one example. This is a true story. This is fantastic. Years ago, there's this fishing fleet that went out from a small harbor on the east coast of Newfoundland. And in the afternoon, there came up this great storm. And when the night had settled down, not a single vessel of the whole fleet had found its way back to the port. And so all night long, the wives, the mothers, the children, the sweethearts, they're pacing up and down the beach, they're wringing their hands, they're calling on God to save their loved ones. And, and then on top of that, to add to the horror of the situation, one of the cottages caught fire. But since all the men were away, it was impossible to save the home. When the morning broke, to the joy of all, though, the entire fleet found its way safely back to port. But there was one face that was a picture of despair. It was the wife of the man whose home had been destroyed by the fire. And so she runs up to her husband. She simply says, oh, husband, we're ruined our home. And all it contained was destroyed by fire. But listen, the man explained, thank God for the fire. It was the light of our burning cottage that guided the whole fleet to port. You know, it's almost like God knew what he's doing. In a situation, a fiery trial, that seemed like this makes no sense. But it did. In fact, God was even answering their prayers on the beach as they were wringing their hands. He says, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> but that lady found out, unfortunately, like we do, hindsight 2020. Later, 
yeah, God did know what he's doing. I didn't need to freak out. You see the difference there? It's not till after it's over when you figure it, you need to have this trust in God in the midst of it. And that's why James says, you know this. Gnosko, experientially, how many times is God going to bring us through trials? Every single time, 100% of the time. And then stop acting like this one escapes his notice. It's everyone. Every single one. He's in control. And every single one, poikilos, he's going to do something fantastic with it. And when you know that, it gives you joy. And not just for you to make it through But when the lost person sees you, listen, even having joy when your house is on fire, I'm kind of thinking that's a good advertisement for Jesus. Bingo. It's not about us. It's about him and what he's trying to do through us. Which leads us to the next poiky loss. The next reason. Sometimes God allow a trial to make you more like Jesus. Now, how many guys ever prayed that prayer? Raise your hand. Make me more like Jesus. Praise God, all 17 of you. That's better than the last question, but that's still... Very concerning to me as your pastor. Uh, but hopefully that's part of our prayers, right? You want to be more like Jesus, right? All right? In fact, that's what the Bible says that God gives folks like Pastor Bobby and I is to entertain you. No, it's to teach you to help you to become mature, more like Jesus, right? I didn't say it. God did. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. It was he, God, who gave, and he's talking to the church, some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Now I'm going to bring this out there. Uh, pastors, the conjunction there, and it literally means pastors, that is teachers. So really, a lot of people say, this is the five-fold ministry. No, it's actually four, right? Because it means pastors, that is teachers, meaning that a pastor is a teacher. And that's consistent with the scripture that as a pastor, how do you know if you have the ability to become a pastor, an elder, a shepherd of the church? You have to have, by the Spirit of God, the gift of teaching. Why? Because that's your main job. If you don't have the gift of teaching, you have no business being up here, let alone being an atheist. And that's just a side note. Have you ever been to a church service and you're sitting there with all due respect and you're going like, what did he just say? And you actually leave there after you woke up from 15 minutes of a nap. And you leave there and go like, I I don't think he said anything unbiblical. I don't think. But what did he say? And then your next line is, what's for lunch? Because I think not just are there fakers behind the pulpit, I think there's people who may be Christians, but they ain't got the gift of teaching. And you know what? It shows. Go do something else. The scripture is very clear. You have to have the gift of teaching if you're a pastor. And it shows. And churches need to have the integrity to know the difference, right? And he says, why? Why why did God give this? Well, it's to prepare you, I, God's people, for the works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Why? To become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, hopefully this is not a surprise to you as a Christian. Did you know that God didn't save us just so we could get our fire insurance so we could sit around on our blessed insurance and do nothing? Ah. Thank you. Thank you. I was waiting for that one on the back row. God plans for us as Christians to be mature. In other words, more like Jesus. Right? And and we've heard the phrase that God loves you so much, he accepts you where you are, who you are. Right? And that's true. Isn't that glad? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad to say, well, I'd love to save you, but you better clean up your act. I mean, you ain't, you better, you better go buy some jackets. You got to start looking snappy. I don't like how you're dressed. 
You better do this. You better stop doing Aren't you glad he just accepts you the way you are? But complete the phrase biblically. Yeah, he loves you and accepts you for who you are. Praise God for that. Or none of us would be saved, myself included. But he loves you enough he doesn't keep you there. He begins to make you more mature, i.e. more like Jesus, right? Before we get to heaven, right? And so that's what the scripture says. But here's the problem. We oftentimes think that this process of becoming more like Jesus is just, hey, I just got a knack for it. Because nobody can stack chairs like me. I'm sure Jesus was a great chair stacker, and I'm a chair stacker guy. And I can do this, you know, Christian thing, you know, Christian. I'll just, I'll just clean up my own act. I'll just pull up my own spiritual brutes, and I'll just become more like Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, <laughs> that's called spiritual pride. And you know, there's a group of people. Matthew 23. You want to read some sharp words from Jesus? Oh, called the Pharisees. You brood of vipers. You beg a dead man's bones. You sit there and you make up all these man-made rules right there, and you make people twice as much a son of hell as you are. Strong words Jesus had for self-righteousness. If you and I could live the Christian life on our own, why do we need Jesus? It's called spiritual pride. And it's it's not only detestable to God, it's a stumbling block in our walk with God. So you know what God does? He, He sees us. He loves us. If we make that mistake, if we start heading down that route, you know what he'll do? He'll send some trials your way. And then he'll send another one. And another one, to knock out that spiritual pride. And we'll find out real fast that we ain't got this natural knack of living like the Savior. Are you kidding me? We got a natural knack for sinning. And the trials wake us up to that. And then we find out that, guess what? The only way to get rid of the sin, the crud that's in our heart, is from the purifying hand of God alone. Listen, oftentimes through trials. Now, I didn't say that. Peter does. He's very consistent, obviously, with the rest of the scripture, including James, talking about this, right? First Peter 1, 67. In this, I love this. This isn't just, you know, James, pure joy. Unadulterated joy, without the mixture of sorrow. Listen to this. Peter says the same thing. Greatly rejoice. Whoa, wow. I love rejoice. It's not just joy. It's do it again. Rejoy. Greatly do it. Woo! Over what? Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all, there it is, poiki loss, all kinds of trials. What? What's this joy thing in the midst of trials? because God's doing something fantastic with it, right? These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, is there anything more valuable than saving faith faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that you're going to heaven instead of hell? Uh, Rhymes with no. It's right. It's greater than gold, which perishes even though, listen, refined by fire. Why is God putting us in the fiery trial? To be proved to be genuine, Right? and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, again, refined by fire, testing by fire, depending on your translation there, the analogy that Peter is giving here in the Greek is actually an analogy of what's called a smelting furnace. How many of you guys bought one last week to put in your backyard? Right next to the barbecue. Hey, honey, let's go smelt. <laughs> no, so let me explain it. What's smelting? Smelting is basically a furnace that they would stick a raw ore uh, in like iron or, or gold or things of that nature, and you know if you go out in the hills and uh, and you find some gold, it typically isn't. Hey, look, it came in a nice cube, ready to go. No, it's it's impacted in a chunk of rock. Well, you don't want the rock; you just want the gold, right? So what do you do? You got to put it in a smelting furnace. It's a furnace that's heated up with super heat, right? And you put it in this crucible, right? And then it, even though it's rock, you get enough heat, it starts to turn it to liquid. Now the way that it works, okay is you keep it in the heat and you only want the gold, but eventually the, the, the rest of the junk, the impurities, if you will, the rock, the stuff you don't want, it begins to rise to the surface. 
And so the ore guy, the gold master, if you will, he would skim the junk off, but you're still not done. It's typically a long process. He'd keep the heat applied, and then here comes the next batch of junk, and he'd skim it off. He'd keep it under the heat and still keep it under the heat, and then he'd rise, the impurities rise, and he'd skim it off. And listen, the goldsmith kept the ore in the fire until he could see his reflection in the gold. And at that point, he knew, I got pure gold. Now, that's the analogy that Peter is using here with the fiery trials that God keeps sending away. Why, God, why, why? Because he's getting the impurities to come to skim it off so that he could see the reflection of his son Jesus in us. In fact, one Christian theologian, he puts it this way. I love it. He's the Christian suffering, whether it be in the form of persecution because of a Christ-like life. Now, stop right there. I'm not saying let's go out there and be obnoxious. But if you really live for Christ, you're going to get some kickback in our ungodly culture. That's why I love what one guy had said. He said, if you as a Christian never face resistance from this world, then it might be because you're going the same direction as the world. But when you live for Christ, you're going to have some kickback. And that's why the scripture also says, you know, whoa, you know, if everybody's your friend. I'm not saying go out there, be obnoxious. But at some point, there's going to be some people that don't like what you do because you're standing for Christ, right? But he says this, Christian suffering, whether it be in the form of persecution because of a Christ-like life, or whether it comes in the form of trials and testings, which are the natural accompaniment of a Christ-like life, such as illness or sorrow, financial losses. Listen, is always, not maybe not might, you know experientially, is always used by a God of love to refine our lives. Listen, it back to Peter, it burns out the dross, it makes for humility, it purifies, increases our faith, it enriches our life. And like the goldsmith of old, listen, God keeps us in the smelting furnace of trials until he can see the reflection of the face of the Lord Jesus in our lives. Why? Because God God is not so much interested in how much work we do for him. It's how much we resemble his son. How many times do we miss that? Nobody can stack chairs like me. Well, that's fantastic. I'm glad you're serving, doing something, then sitting there doing nothing. But it's, do you act like, speak like, behave like, treat others like Jesus Christ? All that other stuff's a waste. God is more concerned, do you resemble my son? And it isn't just for us, because listen, when people see Jesus in us, they want Jesus. When they see our flesh, they go the other way. And so God will use difficulties to get rid of this crud so he can skim it off, and he'll keep us in that difficulty or throw us another difficulty, but he's not being a big old meanie. He's getting rid of the crud so we can look more like Christ. And you know, sometimes he'll do it this way. Watch this. Once again, let's go back to the East Coast. Uh, in the northeastern United States, codfish are a big commercial business. Uh, but the public demand posed a problem for the shippers. And at first they froze the cod, then they shipped them elsewhere, but the freeze took away much of the flavor. So they experimented with this shipping the codfish alive in tanks of seawater, but that proved even worse. Not only was it way more expensive... Uh, but the cod still lost its flavor. And then in addition to that, the texture became soft and mushy. Finally, true story, some creative person solved the problem in the most innovative manner. 
Listen, the codfish, this is cool. The codfish were placed in the tank of water along with their natural enemy, the catfish. And so from the time the codfish left the East Coast until it arrived to its westernmost destination, those ornery catfish chased the cod all over the tank, nonstop. And you guessed it, when the cod arrived at the market, they were as fresh as they were when they were first caught. Listen, there was no loss of flavor, nor was the texture effective. Listen, if anything, it was better than before. And he says this, Christian, each one of us are in a tank of particular and inescapable circumstances. And it's painful enough just to stay in that tank. But in addition to our situation, there are, listen, God-appointed catfish. It could be trials, it could be people. Turn to somebody and say, hey, back off, you catfish. (laughs) But God gives his God-appointed catfish to, listen, bring sufficient tension that, listen, keeps us alive, alert, fresh, and growing. If it weren't for those catfish. He said, it's all part of God's project. Listen, to shape our character so we will be more like his son. Understand, Christian, why the catfish are in your tank. Understand they're part of God's method in producing character in your life and in mine. Yeah, God accepts us for who we are, where we are. Praise God for that. But he loves us so much that he's not going to leave us there. Why? Because he's more concerned about our character than our comfort. I'll say that again. Get this through your head. Because the false teachers out there are getting you focused in the wrong direction. That God's all about comfort, Cadillacs, caviar, riches, perfect health, perfect wealth. God is more concerned about your character than your comfort. And if he has to bring some discomfort to shape your character, praise God for that. Amen? That's a, that, that's a good reason. That, that, you, you, you think forward to that, and that, that'll bring you joy. Let me give you one more for today. Hoiky loss right? It's to keep us from wasting our lives. And man, in our, our, our me, myself, and I, unholy, idolatrous, materialistic society, that's a big one, right? And before you even get into the text, let me do a little segue. I, I just kind of funny. I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've heard Christian, I've passed will, I've been saved for 500 years. I still don't know what God's called me to do. I don't know what to do. What do you mean you don't know what to do? Are you serious? How long have you been saved and you don't know what to do? Here's one verse that will keep you busy all day. Right? Watch this. This is about as blunt as you can get. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink what? Or whatever you do. How many guys would say that's uh, your whole life, everything you do? Yeah. Here's what you do is you get out of bed. Here's your mentality. Do it all for the glory of God. All right? Close in prayer. That'll keep you busy, won't you? All, everything you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all. It's all about God. It's about He, not me, as I said earlier. It's about Jesus, not about me. Do it all for the glory of God. And the reason, why, why is that? Why is God so blunt about that? Well, because it works like this. James later says that our life is like a, a wisp, a vapor, right? You wake up in the morning, there might be a little bit of fog out there, but what happens? It just disappears real quickly, especially here in Vegas. That's what he says your life is. In the span of eternity, it's just a short little thing. How many guys have already started to say like, you look in the mirror, you're like, what happened to you? I mean, your brain actually still thinks you're in your 20s. But your face is looking like you ain't 20. Right? And it's starting to fall off. Right? And then your, your arms, you used to have biceps, but now they're wings and you're flapping wherever you go. And it's like, what's going on with that? I didn't sign up for that one. 
But your life goes, it's just like, what happened? What that was just, just, just the other day. Your life is just a, it's a whisper, it's a vapor. Now, here's the cool thing. God saves us for a purpose. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10, we're saved by grace through faith. Keep reading. He saves us for the good works he plans in advance for us to do. That's verse 10. Now, isn't that cool? To, 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 to know that God, in spite of us, even as Christians, myself included, even after getting saved, we still blow it. But God will do things by his spirit through you to store up treasure in heaven. And since heaven lasts forever, that means that treasure lasts forever, which means he will take these temporary lives and by his spirit, he'll do something eternally significant. Isn't that mind-blowing? That blew me away when I, I was nine months old as a Christian. It was the first time that I got to serve outside of stacking chairs. And it, all it was was just co-teaching youth. You really what it was? I didn't do none of the work. I was just the ex-headbanger dude, right? And I didn't, I, I was trying, still trying to wrap my head around this Christian music thing. It was all brand new to me, right? And, uh, uh, but anyway, <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just, the other guy's doing all the work, but I'm just trying to strum out some Christian tunes on some chords, right? And, and that was it. But it was, that's all I did. But I t- when I got that opportunity, I was like, I felt like I was born again again. Now, I know you can't, but I felt that way. Because to me, I was like, man, this just keeps getting better. God saved me by his grace, his mercy. I'm not going through hell. I deserve to go to hell. Man, I just, I mean, he saved me and I'm going to hell and secure. But now, and then, what? You want to use this life in spite of me to do something to bless other people that could last for all eternity? This is awesome. And all I was doing was going, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> but it was cool. That's whatever you do, whether you're, for the glory of God. You see, that's what's mind-blowing, is God will use us to do something eternal. Isn't that fantastic? Now, you know the problem with this? We live in a wicked world system that's trying to get you to do anything and everything to fulfill that verse. Because it's whatever you do, whether you eat and drink, live for this world, the things of this world, spend your time in this world, focus on this world. It's all about you. It's not about him. Don't serve. Even actually make it like serving like, somebody slave for you. Hey, listen, I'll take being a slave of Christ to a slave of this sin nature, the wicked, evil system, Satan, a day of the week. But when you live in this world, you have to be careful. It will seduce you, Christian. You can't take away your salvation, but the enemy, listen, he can take away your time. And he can take away your time and the only time that you can to do something by God's spirit that will last forever, right? And that's why not just James, but John, the other book, 1 John, that is also an acid test for fakers. He gives this very strong warning. You better be careful if you really live like that and you profess to be a Christian. John, 1 John 2.15, stop! Stop it! Loving this evil world and all that it offers you. Why? Because when you love this world, you show as if God is blind or deaf. You show that you do not have the love of the Father in you. The enemy knows what he's doing. He can't take away your salvation. He, he's trying to flood the church with phony believers, phony teachers, all that stuff. We get that. But even for those of us who are really truly born again, he will try to get you off track and spend all your time, treasure, talents, and tongues on this wicked world system. Oh, you'll still go to heaven, praise God, because of the cross of Christ. But your little wisp, your little vapor, that you could have done something by his spirit to have treasure to lay at his feet is gone. And this little wisp. And so you know what God will do? 
He'll send a trial your way to get you back on track so that you realize that, uh, uh, you know what? Living like that is pretty dumb, super dumb, okay? Like this story, watch this. And again, let's go back to the East Coast. We're going to Maine this time. You guys ready to go to Maine? Yeah, let's go to Maine. Recently, a man spent many summers in Maine. Maine, thanks, thank you. And he was fascinated, in true story, fascinated by his companions who told him about their experience in this little town there in Maine called Flagstaff. Not Arizona, we're talking about Maine. But the town there was to be flooded as a part of a large lake for which the dam, a dam was being built. And so obviously, uh, because of this, in the months before it was to be flooded, listen, all improvements and repairs in the whole town were completely stopped. Why? Well, it was common sense. I mean, what was the use of painting a house if it were to be covered with water in six months, right? Why repair anything when the whole town was about to be wiped out? So true story, week after week, the whole town became more and more focused on their new location and began to invest their lives in that. Why? Because they clearly understood, listen, it was a complete waste of time and money to secure their lives in that which was soon to be destroyed. How many of you guys would say they made the right choice? Can you imagine how dumb that would be? Hey, honey, been saving for all these years. I think what we're going to do is we're going to invest 20 grand and we're going to redo the whole backyard. We're going to landscape it, man. We're going to bring in all kinds of cool stuff, right? And, uh, and uh, let's just get her done right now. And then three months later, blah, 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 blah. And if you were married to that spouse who actually did that, what would you do? You would have an intense moment of fellowship. You would lay hands on them. I'm trying to make it sound Christian. But you know how goofy that would be, right? You're paying taxes as a taxpayer. And that town decides, hey, we're going to spend $4 million of your taxpayer dollars and repaving the roads. Two months later, what a big waste that was. Eject amount of all. Did you know the scripture says one day this earth is going to be burned up? I didn't say it. God did. Watch this. I love this. First Peter. Again, let's go back there, right? Second Peter 3, Tim. Uh, says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be what? Burned up. This is why I personally don't take this wrong. I'm not into recycling. No, I'm not. That's my wife. And if I'll be honest with you, there's a little bit of glee inside of me. When I take that aluminum pop can and I throw it in the regular trash. When I take that cardboard box and I put it in the regular trash can. Recycle. Are you serious? Do you think you're going to save this planet? Wait till you see what God does it after the seven-year tribulation is going to be thrashed. And then here in Second Peter, the whole thing's going to be burned up. You ain't going to save the planet. I'm not saying let's go dunk oil and the, kill the fish. Nobody's for that. But come on. All that's paganism and worshiping the planet, Mother Earth, and that baloney. You ain't going to save the planet. The only one who's going to bring peace to this planet is Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And that doesn't happen until the end of the seven-year tribulation after he thrashes it. Let's close in prayer. Don't recycle, be a Christian. Right? <laughs> so, well, what's my point? Here's the point. That's what we, I get it. The world doesn't know better. But Christians, we know, Right? God's going to thrash this planet. It's all going to be burned up, right? And, and, and then, and so why would we spend all of our time, treasure, and talents? I'm not saying you got, oh, I got to live in a cardboard box. I'm not saying that. But if that's all you do is, John says, stop, 
loving this world and thing, and that's all you do, something's wrong. Number one. Number two, the enemy's got you by the throat, Christian. Even if you are saved, you're wasting your time. All that stuff is going to be burned up. Listen, only that which you do for Jesus Christ will last. And so if God's got to send a trial our way to get us back on track, to, to really, because I don't know about you, the more trials I go through, you know what it does for me? I'm getting kind of tired of this wicked world system. Anybody? Aren't you tired of it yet? I'm sick of it. All the lies and the atrocity, all the tyranny and the baloney that's going on now, and just the evil and the wickedness. Aren't you getting tired of it yet? So why would you live for this? Why would you spend your time on this? You, you, like that time, I, 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 I'm going to switch my minute. I'm going to start living for the world to come and invest my life into that. And so if it took a trial to get me back to that biblical mindset to rescue me from wasting this little wisp of vapor of time, isn't that fantastic? Of course it is. We just got to get to the point where every day when we get up, it ain't about me. It's about he. And open our eyes to the plethora of opportunities to do storing up treasure in heaven. Like this guy. Watch this. Who's going with me to church? You go on ahead, honey. Me and the kids, we'll make you there. In my own little world, it hardly ever rains. I've never gone hungry, always felt safe. I got some money in my pocket, shoes on my feet. In my own little world, population, me. Try to stay awake till the Sunday morning church I throw a 20 in the plate but I never give till it hurts And I turn off the news when I don't like what I see Yeah, it's easy to do when it's population me What if there's a bigger picture? What if I'm missing out? Said a red light, looked out my window. I saw a cardboard sign said, Help this homeless widow. And just above that sign was the face of a human. I thought to myself, God, what have I been doing? So I
stars would brace yours. Give me open hands and open doors. Put your light in my eyes and let me see that my own little world is not about me. What if there's a bigger picture? What if I'm missing out? What if there's a greater purpose that I could be living right now? I don't wanna miss what matters. I wanna be reaching out. Show me the greater purpose so I can start living right now outside my own little world. Ooh, my own little world, yeah, yeah. My own little world. Ooh, my own little world, yeah, yeah. My own little Whatever you do, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. When you get out of bed every day, Paul talks about Romans chapter 6, every day. Here's your choice. You're going to be an instrument of righteousness or an instrument of wickedness. In the mirror of your own heart, when you wake up every day, is this where you're at right now, Christian? If it's not, you need to get back on track. You write on that mirror. It's his time. What little wisp, what little vapor is left for this life? Only he knows. Job 14.5 says, God has determined the length of our lives. We're not given a minute longer. We're born on time. We're going to die on time unless the rapture happens. But are you spinning in the mirror of your heart every day? It's his time. Today's his day. And, and you go throughout the day looking with those glasses on. If you do, you see all kinds of opportunity to store up treasure in heaven. When all is said and done, everything on earth will pass. Only that which you do for Jesus will last. These lives living for him have the potentiality to do something that will stand for all eternity and become eternally significant if we live lives for his time, not my time. That's what the enemy's trying to mess up. And so if the enemy's got you messed up and God's got to bring some trials your way to get you back on track and stop living for this world and Put a sour taste in your world, and I'm sick of this world. I'm, I'm tired of this world. It doesn't mean you stop serving God or reaching out. You still need to do that. But you know what? It just loses all the glamour and the glitz and the sheen. The things that used to attract you before don't attract you anymore because you're storing up treasure in heaven. If it takes trials to get you back on track with that, you know what that does? Makes you joyful. The enemy almost got me. He almost tricked me as a born-again Christian to waste my little vapor on things that are going to burn up. 
Thank you, Jesus. Right? And that's what James is saying. Hoo-wee, man. You better consider what? Pure joy. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, God loves you enough to send them your way to do some great things. Amen? Well, I got to get one more in. Poiky loss. That's right. <laughs> Lord willing, the next poiky loss is he'll do it. He'll send some trials to make you more humble. But we're out of time. We'll have to deal with that next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a savior if we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place 
so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive his pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth he is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.